This time on episode 408 of Legends of S.H.I.E.L.D., we're going to be discussing the 2021 Marvel Studios film, Eternals. We're also going to be discussing some weekly Marvel Studio news, including what Bill Murray reveals about his Ant-Man and the Wasp Quantumania character, who Marvel Studios is tapping to help Echo writers in the team, and a quick Twitter poll on which 2021 Marvel Studio film was your favorite in the feedback section. I'm Chris from Play Comics, a show where we look at video games based on comic properties and how well they stick to that source material, a part of the Gunna Geek Network, just like the show you're checking out now. Shows on the network are individually owned, and opinions expressed may not reflect others. Find other astonishingly geeky shows at GunnaGeekNetwork.com. You have been granted clearance by director Alfonso Mac McKenzie. Stand by for a shield debriefing. All information to be discussed here is classified and may only be discussed among agents granted clearance by the shield director. Now it's time for a scheduled debriefing. I'm Agent Michelle. I'm Agent Chris. And I'm producer of the show, Director SB. Welcome to Legends of S.H.I.E.L.D., a Marvel Comic Universe fan show discussing the Marvel Cinematic and Comic Book Universes as told by Marvel Studios. The show is recorded on Thursday, January 13th, 2022, live from the Legends of S.H.I.E.L.D. studios and broadcast World Forge wide via www.geeks.live. Come and join our live chat as we record, since we love talking about Marvel. Because of Baking with Gilgamesh. If you'd like to talk to us about Baking with Gilgamesh, you can head over to the website, legendsofshield.com. You can leave us your favorite recipes for pies on our voicemail at 844-THE-BUS-1. That's 844-843-2871. You can show us pictures of you barehandedly grabbing things out of the fire on Facebook at the Legends of Shield podcast. You can share your recipes for pies with us on Twitter at Legends of Shield. You can just send us some whole recipe videos and go check out on YouTube at youtube.com slash geek. Tell your Amazon device to enable Legends of Shield skill. And if you'd like to tell us what your favorite pie is, you can head on over to the Discord server at gunnageek.com slash Discord. And remember, Legends of Shield is a proud member of the gunnageek.com network. I thought his apron was great, but the way that he described making his own alcohol, which apparently he did many, many times, was simultaneously gross, but everybody thought it was so delicious. I don't know what to think about it. I'd try it. He is a god. It's not technically a god, but okay. Close enough, I'd still try it. Me too. Why not? Right. There you go. Two out of three. Want to try Gilgamesh's mead. All right, we're going to talk about Eternals, so let's just get into it. Eternals was released in theaters on November 5th, 2021, and then again on Disney Plus in the streaming realm on Wednesday, January 12th, 2022, as we're recording it. That was yesterday. Michelle, who produced this film? Oh, gee, look, it's Kevin Feige. 79 production credits, starting with X-Men in 2000, 
79 or Marvel-based properties, no longer has a Star Wars project. So that's interesting. So he's still the man in charge of Marvel. And also we have Nate Moore as a producer, has six production credits, including Captain America, Black Panther, Falcon and Winter Soldier, and Eternals. Over on the composing side of the house for this film, the music was by Raman Dawadi, who has 73 composing credits. And you have heard his music before because he's done the music in such film as Thunderbirds 2004, Blade Trinity in 2004. So he's worked Marvel stuff before. Oh, look, Iron Man 2008, the soundtrack behind Iron Man. This man did Medal of Honor in 2009, Clash of the Titans 2010, Red Dawn 2012 version, Pacific Rim, which I know is one of Lauren's favorites. She can't be here tonight. That was in 2013, Warcraft in 2016, the entire TV series, A Person of Interest, Prison Break, Game of Thrones. Yes, Game of Thrones, Winter is Coming, was done by him. Tom Clancy's Jack Ryan, the streaming series over on Amazon Prime, Westworld over on HBO, and a little movie that's in post-production that includes, I don't know, maybe you've heard of him, Tom Holland before, Uncharted. So yes. Raman has extensive ties to the Marvel Cinematic Universe and all of its extensive ties. I thought the music was great. We're not scheduled to talk about it specifically, but what did you guys think about the soundtrack for this movie, Chris? I thought it was pretty good. I'll definitely see if I can find it on Spotify or something and just have it playing at work because it seems like it's going to fit the mood for a lot of things that I'm going to have to deal with over the next few weeks. Yeah, it was solid. I think it's one of those ones that sort of really blends into the background, which sometimes a soundtrack needs to do. I agree. So, Chris, who directed the movie? This one was directed by Chloe Zhao. She has eight directing credits. Unfortunately, I have seen none of them, but I really want to. It looks like some really interesting titles, including, I mean, this is me judging based on titles, but Songs My Brother Taught Me just sounds like a good title. The Writer sounds like a good title. Nomadland really sounds like a good title. I've seen nothing that she has done in the past either, but I think she did a decent job with the directing side of the house. We'll talk about the movie in its entirety later. Michelle, who wrote this movie? We've got three cooks in the kitchen. First, we have Patrick Berlig, and then Ryan Furpo and Kaz Furpo. And yeah, that's it. Uh, nothing. If you look in their IMDb credits, you wouldn't be able to distinguish them from somebody off the street, basically. But they put this together. All right, we're not going to talk about the entirety of the cast for this movie, but we're going to talk about a select few. And each of us have chosen our favorites. And Michelle, since you wanted to talk about a person in particular, you get your first dibs at the cast. Okay, so first we have Gemma Chan as Cersei. Some of you might know her from Humans. It was a great show. Captain Marvel as Minerva. So she is a very intriguing actress, and I was happy for her to be in the lead. Then we had Salma Hayek, the living goddess that she is, as Ajax. Frida, Desperado, Dogma. She is amazing. We also have. Leah McHugh as Sprite. She is new to me, but I think she did a really good job. 
of course. Then we have Brian Tyree Henry as Fastos. You might also know him from, let's see, Atlanta. That's where I knew him from. I'm like, I know this person. Atlanta plays Paperboy. That's where I know him from. Such a different character. It's really interesting when actors get to, you know, play against type. Then we have Lauren Ridloff as Macari. As she's also been in The Walking Dead, the TV series as Connie. And the one, the only, Ma Dunsock, also known as Don Lee as Gilgamesh. Train to Busan, The Neighbors, The Bad Guys, The Movie, The Gangster, The Cop, The Devil, Unstoppable. He's just amazing. And I have things to say about what happened to him. So those are my highlights for the cast. Chris, who are your cast highlights? My highlights were taking a trip down the accent train because I just really like accents. So the first one that really caught my ear was Gris, played by Richard Madden. Most people will probably know him as Rob Stark from Game of Thrones. I haven't seen that yet. He was also in Rocket Man, and I just really love hearing the Scottish in there, especially when you can put it up against the Irish of Barry Cohen. I really hope I said that right now. He was in Dunkirk and The Green Knight. So fun to listen to both of them talk. But the most fun for me was Kumail Nanjiani. I couldn't watch this movie without imagining him as his character in Portlandia, which I think just made the entire thing even more hilarious for me. I loved his Bollywood scene. We'll talk about that later. So my cast favorites are Angelina Jolie, and I'm not a Angelina Jolie fan by any means, but I thought she knocked it out of the park with her acting here. She had to play a wide range. First of all, a badass warrior. She had to play somebody who was slowly losing her mind and be able to interface with other people on the flip sides of that. I just thought she did a great job with all of that. Kit Harrington. I'm not a big Kit Harrington fan at all, but I know he was from Game of Thrones. I know he has a big fandom, and I know he's got a future in the Marvel Cinematic Universe because, well, spoiler, the end credit. But we see him sparringly in this, and he's just name recognition, really. Matter of fact, remember, you guys remember that one phone call in the woods when they were in the Amazon and Cersei called him or he called her or whatever? That was just to put Kit Harrington's face in the film. That phone call was totally not necessary. All right. And then I want to talk about Harish Patel, who played Karan, the valet, Kingo's valet. He was just so good in this. We talked about side characters last episode, by the way, her favorite side characters. If we had done this cast, Karan would have been in my list of three, basically. I just enjoyed what he was doing, what he had to say his loyalty to Kingo, his fact that the Eternals didn't phase him at all, and he was a longtime confidant of Kingo, so really enjoyed him. And then last but not least, we're an Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. podcast. We started as an Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. podcast. There was an Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. actor in this, not as their Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. character, though. It was Patton Oswalt playing Pip the Troll, an atrociously animated troll, but still, it was Patton Oswald 
and you know we're going to get more of Patton Oswald in the MCU. This is going to be fun for the future, but he had such a small role in basically a mid credit scene. I just wanted to annotate him. So, yep, that's the cast, and we're going to go forward with the rest of the discussion here. So the IMDb synopsis of this is, The Saga of the Eternals, a race of immortal beings who lived on Earth and shaped its history and civilizations. That's a pretty good synopsis, I think. What, what do you guys think? It's short, but good. It's not wrong. I think it's interesting that it's just the saga of the Eternals. Even the person who wrote the one-line synopsis was just, I don't really know what the saga was. Let's just put saga in there. So, not saga comic book, but the saga of the Eternals. Okay. All right. Well, we have a more detailed synopsis. If you haven't seen Eternals or if you need to be refreshed on what happened in the Eternals, well... I have a special thing for you right now because we have our standardized synopsis, which I will take ownership of the author. I know there's been a couple of changes, but I will take ownership of this. So if you have a complaint, come see me. So we're going to get into it right now. After a much needed scrolling text tutorial, the pizza sliced shape flying 2001 monolith makes its way to Earth with a troop of newly awakened meditating beings on board that don't seem to know each other, the Eternals. The Eternals trying to make a good impression on their first day of school with the class of 5000 BC. The Eternals arrive on Earth in dramatic fashion to save their cavemen classmates from the evil teachers, uh, I mean terrifying deviants, and subject everyone to intense mind control to assure they all get voted to the prom court. An immediate time jump to present day after the Marvel pre-roll confirms this will be a non-linear storytelling tale involving Winterfell's finest Kit Harrington, as winter in the form of global disaster is sure to come. As a newly upgraded self-healing deviant attacks, Cersei and Sprite's Battle of the Boyfriends play out in the streets of London. The Eternals' then journey through time continues in a magnificently rendered 575 BC Babylon as Ajax becomes concerned about her special Earth. Icarus trusts in Ursham, and the rest of the Eternals start their character development. The Eternals' next stop takes them to India in 400 AD, and after 175 years of dating, Icarus and Circe marry. Back in present day, Ajax is discovered killed and Cersei becomes the Eternals' appointed leader while learning it is almost time from Arishim, who looks an awful lot like Galactus. Back in 1521 AD, the Eternals learn how to party, and Thena starts to fall to the Mod Huri. In present-day Bollywood, Kingo treats the Eternals to a fun musical number and a nice private jet to finally reunite with Gilgamesh and Thena. We learn Gilgamesh can bake, and Athena tells horrific tales about the destruction of a planet. Cersei finally connects with Erisham, and the audience is treated to a gratuitous exposition sequence, including billions of years, celestials, Cylon copies, evolving apex predators, population growth, and the baby Tiamat waiting to hatch. The slow march to the end starts in the Amazon as the Eternals battle the new and improved Ultron-esque Deviants in an epic superhero fight and Gilgamesh falls. The team grabs Fastos in Chicago, heads for the Domo, and makes a plan to save Earth from Tiamat. Icarus's betrayal in Alaska, or is it Ajax's betrayal? 
is shown as the Deviant's evolution is explained. Without a win-win possibility, the Eternals have to make an impossible choice. Allow the Earth to be destroyed, put Tiamat to sleep, or kill Tiamat. It's finally time to suit up for the epic 20-minute long final battle filled with amazing special effects, powered fights to rival the endgame battle, final betrayals, self-sacrifice, and heartbreaking Ultron Deviant destruction when the Eternals learn of the Emergence connection and baby Tiamat is killed during the Celestial Birth. And Sprite gets her wish to be a real person. Arishim kidnaps the rebellious Eternals. Jon Snow contemplates his special sword. And Patton Oswalt gets his big MCU break. And that is what happened in the movie. I want to point out one thing, though. I was incorrect in my calculations beforehand. So Michelle wasn't incorrect. That was me incorrect. Because they dated not for 175 years, but they dated for 975 years. So that's almost a thousand years that they were dating slash engaged. Just Cersei and Icarus. Just want to point that out. That's my fault, not Michelle's fault. All right. Overall thoughts. Michelle, what do you think of the movie? This movie was long. I think a Ryan George pitch meeting put it really perfectly. Uh, This probably would have been better as a Disney Plus series where they would have had eight hours to stretch everything out and really show us what was going on with the characters instead of two and a half hours of gram time. I did see this in the theater. This is going to be my last movie that I've seen in the theater for a while. So I saw it back in November and I remember sitting in the theater and it was just me in the theater wanting to break out my phone and like do something because it was long. But I was captivated by it, and maybe it just speaks to me personally because of the nonlinear storytelling. I don't know, but I did enjoy it, but I will agree. It was long. So I guess that's where we're going to start our discussion. It was long, right, Chris? It was really long. I stayed awake the whole time, though, which is amazing for me. But the thing is, like, It's long, and I still wish that it spent more time explaining things, because this isn't like Avengers, where you've come in and you've had some of these solo movies before, so even the super casual fans kind of know what's going on. This is a brand new set of characters that we've basically never seen anything about in the MCU, and there's 10 of them, and I'm supposed to care about all of them. Yeah, indeed, there are 10. And throughout this epic, we don't even get all of them. We get them all in the past in these fragments of pairings. And there are some love things that could have been cut. I was spotting in there. It's like, well, that's too long. And that's too long. We could have cut that, spent more time on here. I was trying in my notes to make like, okay, so Makari is speed girl. Um, like that's all they were. Durek, mind guy. We saw them fight kind of together in, you know, the nonlinear thing, but we never got the band back together in the present at all. Because Gilgamesh dies before they get to Makari. Ajak, Ajak is dead. So we don't get the reuniting with, you know, basically she's mom to everyone. So we don't get the re there. So we start off with 10. Ajax sends them on the way to live, which is great. That's a good idea. 
but they never all come back together. And it's too many. Like Chris said, know nothing. Not only do we know nothing about them, they had to do this offside. The reason why Jon Snow was there is because he doesn't know anything. And he's there so he can ask the questions that we all, it's like, so where were you with like with the whole Thanos thing? And they're like, well, that was like against our orders. It's like, well, if you're like done with the whole Devia thing, why are you still here? It's like, well, we haven't gotten orders to go back. So basically they had to take a good like five to 10 minutes just to explain why these ultra powerful people were sitting in the back while Thanos came along and got rid of half of the universe. And it wasn't just the exposition through Kit Harrington or Dane, I believe his character was. It was the exposition that we got when Cersei went to talk to Erisham. That was a long sequence, very well done. I mean, we've seen it before. We saw it in Guardians of the Galaxy 2. We've seen it in other MCU movies. But we did get an extraordinarily long, I would call, exposition scene just to tell Cersei what was going on which inevitably told us as the audience what was going on. And that was like, like in the middle of the film. And I know you want to keep some kind of mystery or whatever, but you're right. Brand new characters don't know anything about them. I had some vague comic book knowledge going into this from the ultimates Two run from 2016 through 2017. It was not anything to do with this. It was to deal with Galactus and the ultimates which included Blue Marvel, which we have not seen in the MCU yet, Captain Marvel. We saw America Chavez as well as part of that team. So I really dug that as one of my more coveted comic book runs that I have in actual art paperback form. But it was just a lot to take in. And it was a, it's one of my complaints with uh, Thor the Dark World was, so what about these Dark Elves? What's going on with these dark elves? I don't understand what a dark elf is. And I know it's very common, but I didn't have a concept of it. So it kind of ruined a little bit of it. And I know a lot of people have issues with Thor the Dark World anyway. But I would liken it a little bit like that. Now, unfortunately, this was not one of the better reviewed movies. But I do enjoy world building and long span storytelling. So I guess that's why this speaks to me. One issue that I had, though, when we're talking about the length of the movie, is that when we were doing the cuts, the nonlinear cuts, the time shifts, sometimes it, it was not apparent. You were like, okay, so we're in present day, and they're talking about going to do a fight, and then you see a fight, but you don't realize that you're 5,000 years in the past. It was a little bit jarring to have to figure out after a few minutes in that time period that the marquee came up and told you what year it was. It's a little bit of beef that I had, but I love the fighting in here. Did you guys like the fighting that when it actually happened? Because there were several fights in here, several long fights in here. I like the fight in the Amazon. I like the final fight. I like some of the fights as they were fighting the Deviants early on, like the Babylon fight. It's just fun watching these guys fight the Deviants with superpowers. I agree. They were well choreographed, good effects. Especially since with Angelina Jolie, who plays Thena, not Athena. She's very much, don't put the A there. Her weapons are pure CGI. 
So the fact that she was very convincing with these pure CGI weapons speaks to her acting ability, also choreographing, because she has to, you know, even though she had a stunt double, of course, but she still has to be believable holding green sticks, probably during production. It was like green sticks or something. So, yeah, I enjoyed the battles. Of course, I'm still trying to figure out how all of their abilities work together. I think because we really didn't get the whole band back together to really see some coordinating fighting. I would have, again, I would have really liked to have seen a cohesive, like a nice battle sequence where we really understood how all 10 of them, I get Ajax was the cleric who needs to be in the back. I play D&D. I'm a cleric nerd. And basically my team is just like, no, you save us from death. You go back there. So I understand why she wouldn't be front and center, but the others, we got a taste of it like near the end, but I kind of think how they go together besides, you know, but it was, I do. I like a lot of the fights. You're right there. That's me. I mean, Kingo with his finger guns, I thought was really fun, but I mean, I like them. I just, I want to see that Ultron moment where they come together and this just seemed like Power Rangers from the beginning of the episode where they have no idea what's going on yet. Yeah. So we've referenced it a couple of times. I want to do a little bit more of a deep dive here. So the Eternals were created by Erisham to do this population explosion, basically, in to enhance the civilization, to bring forth technology so that these civilizations could grow to the point where their mind energy is big enough to birth the celestial. And Erisham has programmed them, for lack of a better term, created them kind of egoish. You know, remember Guardians of the Galaxy, ego was a celestial. So I think Erisham is doing that same thing, but doing it in a different way with the Eternals. And the Eternals, we talk about them dying, like Gilgamesh and Ajax are dead. And Icarus, at the end, we haven't talked about it yet, but he supposedly died. I don't know if that is entirely true. First of all, we never see Icarus completely fall apart. So a Celestial like Arishim could have gone in and plucked him out and could have saved him. Or what could have happened with the other two as well. Now, remember, Erishim is keeping their minds way back then, and there's some sort of connection at the very end of when they're birthing the Celestial that their minds then get recaptured back to the World Forge. So they don't necessarily have to be dead. We could see Don Lee again. We could see Ajax again. We could see Icarus again. So I can't say that they're definitely dead. And if you want to equate it to something that we know in sci-fi history, it's kind of like the Cylons, the final five in particular in Battlestar Galactica, the 2003 reimagined Battlestar Galactica. I don't know if that's true or not. It has not been explained to us how this works, but it is a very good possibility. Could Icarus really be dead? Yes. Could Ajax really be dead? Yes. But there is a chance that they might not, and we could see them again. This is comic books. This is based on comic books. So this happens all the time in comic books, right, Chris? Oh, I mean, even when somebody's dead, they're not dead because they're not really dead. Or there's alternate universe version to pull out 
or they were never them to begin with. They were a robot. So, you know, so many ways you can pull people back in here. That is true. The one person who is supposed to say dead is Uncle Ben. It would be interesting if that was the case. However, at the end with the credit scene, we get two more Eternals. Boy band Harry Styles comes in and that's where we get Patton Oswalt. So there's more characters because they're looking for more Eternals. I want Don Lee back. Yeah, I know they could come back. How? But here's the thing. They would supposedly be have different personalities. That was the thing with Thena. Athena was remembering her previous programming because we learned they're basically synthetics. They get white and then they get freshly put on a ship and then they think they're just starting a new life. And they, you know, the Eternals we meet, they think they've been alive for 7,000 years. It seems as though they've been recycled for millions of years. Even if that's the case, it wouldn't be the ones that we met. So we would have to re-meet them. Icarus might be Icarus because he's stuck by Erisham's law. So Erisham is just like, yo, Icarus is my boy. So might have just saved Icarus as is. But now Gilgamesh didn't have the chance to learn the truth because here's the thing. After the exposition, Cersei had to do another round of exposition, which I do not like. That's the thing. When we get like the back to back exposition, because then they had to debate about the exposition by being expositiony and all that. So we got it like twice. It wouldn't be the same one. So we would have to re meet Gilgamesh. We would have to. And apparently, Ajax was the one who wanted to save Earth. So obviously, that Ajax wouldn't come back. It would be a new one. So we would have to, again, Meet, they would basically be new characters. And that's worked before for me, and it has not worked for me before. We have seen it ourselves with Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. with Bill Coulson, so it can work both ways there. As far as Gilgamesh goes, Chloe Zhao actually had to come out in an interview with Empire just a few days ago, a week ago or so. And she was explaining what happened to Gilgamesh, because apparently you're not the only one that had an issue with it, Michelle. Speaking of Thena, by the way, drop the A, Thena. She said, quote, she had no choice but to embrace her vulnerability, her messiness, before she had Gilgamesh, and he gave her the most important thing. Remember, you have it in yourself. She can't fight it with fire. She's got to let that water come in. Athena needed to lean into the soft side of her and remember the memories that are going to heal her. This was written in the treatment, but losing Gilgamesh is a tough thing for the whole group. So it was a little bit difficult for me to get the meaning out of there, but I think what she was trying to say is Gilgamesh's death was pivotal to Athena being able to start to heal herself. And the story was really about Athena, not Gilgamesh. That's what Chloe said. But we don't know. Look at their reaction to Ajax's death sets them onto the family reunion thing. And here's the thing. I already knew. I don't know if it's because he was directed this way or his name's Richard Madden, right? The guy who played Icarus. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Rob Stark. Not my favorite actor. 
I saw Game of Thrones. His Rob Stark was just, this movie has boring white men. He's one of them. And I knew right away about his inevitable trail. I knew from when he looked at Ajax. So here's the thing. It spends all this time showing them fighting the deviants and how the deviants destroy their victims and everything. Going to Ajax's home, the place isn't wrecked at all. And she's out there peacefully looking weird. They're like, we don't die. And all of a sudden, Icarus is looking there. It's like, oh, this is a deviant. And I'm just like, dude, you killed her. Because either you killed her or you know the deviants killed her and you're not saying anything. I knew it from then. And that's another reason why this movie was just like long. Because I'm just like, he's like, come on, girl. You left for a reason. Fine. So I was like, I knew he was like, I was just waiting for his curse your sudden but inevitable betrayal moment. It was like, get there get there because we don't know them well enough we don't really know how gilgamesh's death really impacts because we don't see them interact enough until where any of these things have impact it has impact on thena that's great but there's a nine others besides thena and like we keep saying there's so many that it's hard to care about them we needed like three less So I think the key of this movie is actually Icarus because it is a no-win situation. You save Earth, and that's great. We live on Earth. Earth is special, we think. You know, we were able to affect Thanos, you know, bring half the universe back. But it's still just a planet. And in the grand scheme of the universe, it's supposed to birth a celestial, which will then go on to enhance the Earth because celestials make planets. So Icarus's betrayal, not necessarily are the Eternals going to save Earth or are they going to save the Celestial? That's, you know, pick one. It doesn't really matter. We, since we live here, want to save Earth, but the universe could go either way. Icarus betrayed his own team. Now, he could have debated. He could have said, like Kingo did, I don't believe in what you're doing. I'm not going to stick around. No, instead... He literally stabs them in the back by killing Ajax and then enabling the further development of the Deviants. So I think the story really is about Icarus's betrayal. And I think they tried to throw in there a little bit of the love story with Cersei so that we felt a little bit more for him. Didn't quite work for me, but at least I saw what they were trying to do there. And that's how I see this movie is all about Icarus and how bad of a person that he is. You're right. Erisham thinks he's the best thing ever because he tried to go back to what Erisham was trying to do here with birthing Tiamat. Erisham could have definitely saved him and or taken his mind and given him his original programming and put him in a new body, that sort of thing. Whatever they're going to do here. But yeah, that's how I see it. Icarus is the reason why this movie is here. I mean, the problem, though, is that Icarus is Scott Summers who can fly. And he's going to blindly follow his leader because that's who the leader is. And the leader must be right because he's the leader and everybody else isn't with me. So they are poop heads and wrong. That is so perfect, Chris. That is so perfect. It's funny that you mentioned that he is Cyclops, because that's basically what I thought. 
is through and through with Cyclops. He can fly, he can throw beams out of his eyes. Those are his two powers, basically. So the only difference is he doesn't have to have glasses over his eyes. And I'm assuming he's not quite as good at geometry. I don't know how smart these guys are. I mean, they've been around for a long, long, long time. So they've had the ability to assimilate quite a bit of a knowledge. And unfortunately, we see how that can affect them in Thena. But the rest of them seem to deal with it okay. I'd argue that Druig was affected by the whole thing. He is on the border of being incredibly unstable. And I don't know if that comes from him being able to control minds or just his personality. But dude creeps me out. Well, you can control everything, make everybody stop fighting, solve all the problems in the world, except you can't because you've been told you're not allowed to use the one thing you can do to make that all happen. Yeah. I was hoping, talking about the deviants, one of the moments that I thought was interesting was with Thena and the main deviant who says we're both victims of programming by gods. And I really thought they were going to do something interesting with the evolution of these deviants. I thought that was going to be the main conflict, but no, we have to have this other celestial thing going on. That's another thing. It's when you have too many characters, you need to simplify some things. But instead of this interesting idea, we get Thena just chopping it up like sushi and then exiting the cave, and no one cares about the deviants anymore. It's like this really interesting idea was getting developed, and it's like, no, let's drop it for this other thing. That was frustrating. So with Durig and everything, it's like it would have been interesting earlier on. Basically, I kind of feel like they wanted to do Eternals Civil War, and it's like, you know what? Just go ahead and lean into it. That's what it ended up becoming anyway. Icarus having one side of the issue, the rest of the team not. It's like, you know what? You were doing eternal civil war from the beginning. You you should have just leaned into it. If that's what you were going to do, lean into it and allow us to get to know these characters and debate the sides with you as we go along the movie or something. I am not steep in the Bollywood culture basically and just seeing this and seeing the excitement that Kingo had and the excitement of everybody around it including Corinne it was fun to watch it was a great little watching it the second time it's not as long as you think it is the first time around the little number that they do but it is a good Bollywood number and at least in my opinion right I, I've not seen any Bollywood stuff but it makes me want to see more and so congratulations on Kingo, the Eternals of making me, introducing me basically to Bollywood and the Bollywood culture. Oh, that was perfect. I haven't watched a lot, but I have watched some. It was just perfect. And you know, that's what gets me. It's like they had these interesting ways of giving us exposition, like Sprite could do like really cool illusions and do like these great stories. And then we had a Bollywood number. That would have been a great way to have given us exposition here and there. Instead of having Sprite make up a myth, a Sprite could have been telling us an actual story about the Eternals. We could have gotten, I mean, Kingo was actually doing Icarus's story in a way, and it would have been interesting to have seen 
that sort of basic thing done in a full Bollywood style, that would have been great. You brought up Sprite storytelling, by the way. And if you watch the storytelling again, she ends it with fireworks. I don't know when the Chinese developed fireworks. I should know this. I know that they did. I just don't know when. They were in Babylon in 575 AD. So I don't know if those people knew what fireworks were or not. Pretty explosions. They didn't care. Yeah. Okay. Well, I mean, any explosion back then would have been because they didn't have explosions. I guess lightning exploding into a tree or something. I mean, I just looked it up real quick. It Real quick, Google is telling me the second century BC. So well after they were showing in the sky for all the Babylonians. Right. So about 275 years after, because it was 575 BC, and then they created it 200 BC. Is that what you're saying? It's saying second century. Okay. 200. So 275 years before they were developed by the Chinese. Okay. Maybe a little continuity or whatever. It was kind of nice to see. I, I grant it, but I don't know if anybody knew what fireworks were back then. Maybe she had told those stories over the course. Okay. That's easily explainable. She had told those stories over the course of months or years or whatever. So everybody got used to it. That's cool. Sprite. She is the puppet that's trying to be a person and ultimately gets her wish. So now she's a human. I don't think she's going to be a human for long. I think she's going to be allowed to mature and then she's going to go back to her powers somehow or become an even other villain, not villain, but being. We've seen very powerful sprites in the Marvel comics, and I think that she is going to be the embodiment of that. I don't think her time in the MCU is done by any means. All right. I have a beef with this movie, guys. Another one? I have a big beef with this movie, and literally big beef. So, rocket scientists here, I'm thinking in terms of Earth's crust, celestial coming out. Okay, it was in a volcano, so there's some volcanic activity, and there's a body of magma that comes up for the eruption. But they're talking about fracturing a sizable portion of the Earth's crust, and the head, and a couple of hands, and one of the spikes from the shoulder is coming out. So basically, the celestial has fractured the crust already. I mean, you're talking about a couple hundred miles of crust. This celestial has gone through that already and has poken its head up out of the ocean somewhere in the Indian Ocean, I assume. That's going to have detrimental effects to the planet. They were talking about worldwide or planet-wide earthquakes. And Nothing big happens. It's just they turn it to stone and no big deal. Also, I have a secondary beef with Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. When the planet gets ruined with the lighthouse, we don't see a celestial in the middle of the planet. We don't see a celestial, a little baby infant celestial floating around out there. Oh, no. We just see the remnants of the planet. So two beefs with the Tiamat. What happened to Tiamat and Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., which is the whole continuity thing, or... Why is the planet still together? Huh, my two beasts. I understand. I am also, I'm a science teacher in my day job. And I'm just going, that's death. Okay, that's not only is it major structural to the Earth, but it also is going to interfere with the magnetic part. And it's going to probably mess with the tilt of the Earth. It could cause wobble, which would 
impact our orbit. And it's just, yeah, because it was so big. And it was just like, yeah, when it comes out, it's going to destroy the entire Earth. But yeah, I know. I know everyone's going comic books, but all of a sudden, everybody's fine. There's just the big celestial head there to plug up the hole from the magma. There you go. I only know two things for sure here. One is that there is a wonderful film theory video, which also takes a poke at all of these. And two, when I bite through the crust of my sandwich, my sandwich stays together. So now I just have to assume that my sandwich has better structural integrity than a planet. I need a moment. It just, it's, it was a lot for me. I'm sorry. <sighs> okay. Deviant. Did anybody else think that the deviant, the ultimate deviant, I know we talked about the waste. It was very Ultron like. Is that just me? I was getting those vibes. Okay. I suppose there's only so much you can do with animation in Marvel Studios these days or CGI or whatever. All right. Anything else, guys? Longtime listeners might remember that we were giving some rather strong opinions about some countries' choices of whether to show this movie or not. Oh no, there are two guys that kissed, and it is much tamer than you can see walking down the halls of a middle school. Meanwhile, you have Icarus and Cersei full on naked, which you don't see anything, but you know they are. Really? Yeah, because not only do you see them naked, you see the motion. And that's one of the things that we could have cut. I really thought, okay, they kissed, we're going to cut to the next thing, but no, we get a full on boning scene. And this is what I want. I want the Disney Plus show we all deserve, which is Fantastos and Home, and then with being Daddy, and then, of course, the neighbor Gilgamesh doing baking and stuff. So we needed that. That was cool. But yeah, like I said, the Cersei Icarus thing, because also I didn't really sense any chemistry Gemma was doing her best to bring chemistry. And then all of a sudden, all of a sudden, there's a love triangle with Sprite. Love Square. And it's just like, oh God, really? It's just like another thing in this kitchen. And I get Sprite's frustration because Sprite is basically Claudia from Interview with the Vampire. For all those who are not familiar with that Anne Rice, Rest in Peace novel. Claudia is a little girl that the vampire Lestat makes into a vampire to keep Louis around. And Claudia doesn't grow up and it has serious ramifications. So I'm going, okay, that's who Sprite is. Again, I'm just like these basic cardboard two-dimensional notes about these characters. And again, I just would have liked to have gotten to know them more. I think. As I said before, they were trying to pull off some sort of Cersei Icarus thing and make us care about both of them more through that. But I never picked up on Icarus's betrayal until it was shown. I guess that's just daft on me. But I didn't really care about him as much as I did Cersei. Cersei I cared about, but also Cersei was just coming across as incredibly naive and just hurt. Even with her relationship with Dane slash Kid Harrington, it just tell that there was a block there that just wasn't there i'm wondering chris you put something in the show notes that i just got to bring out i'm wondering if this movie we're going to refer back to in the future 
three years, five years, 10 years from now and go, oh, that's what they were trying to get at with this. It'll make more sense in the long term, kind of like Captain America, the first Avenger. Like years later, you're like, oh, I get it. I get what they were trying to do. Will it make it a better movie? I don't know. Maybe, maybe not. Thor The Dark World is another example. They really tried to hammer that home with Avengers Infinity War and Endgame. And they elevated it in importance, but does it make it a better movie? I don't know. So we'll see with Eternals. Anything else, guys? Are we pretty exhausted? I'm just glad we got to talk about it. This is more, I think, frustration. I think I'm talking about it a lot because I could just see so many gems in the movie that were just discarded. And I think that's where my frustration comes from. I actually, there was a feel to this, the meditative part of it that I really liked. I liked the fights. It was just, again, who are these people? 10 episode series, you start off with an episode, them being all together as they show up. You take the next chunk of episodes, pair people off appropriately to show their origin stories where you can do it on just the people that actually hang out with each other. And then the last bit of episodes as everybody comes back together. And it would have been so much better. Marvel's done this successfully before, maybe not with as many characters, but Guardians of the Galaxy is a good depiction of of them actually pulling something off. If you go beyond the main team, well, if you go beyond the main team, you get other characters that are thrown in there as well. Just this was all one big, huge team. Also, we've got a long movie, two and a half hours. And I understand you pay a lot of movie money to see a movie and you want to see a spectacular thing, which we did. I want to talk about that in a second. But how, what's the right length of a well-told story? Are we talking 90 minutes? Are we talking two hours? Are we talking two and a half hours? Are we talking three hours? Was there enough story to put this into a two and a half hour movie? Probably not. But what is the correct length of a good theater experience for something like this. One where you don't realize that much time has gone. That's how you know. Like when I watched Lord of the Rings, I'm like, oh, wow, I had no idea two and a half to three hours went. The Hobbit, different story. The Hobbit felt long because it was just not that great. You, t- you as much time as needed. When you do something, Chris is right, this would have been a magnificent television show. When you cram stuff in and you make people keep trying to think about what's going on in in the movie and your brain's doing extra work. Your brain is just like, you're trying to sit there and soak in the story, but then you're trying to figure out the story. And then you're like, why do I care about these people? Who are these people? Wait, is she an eternal or is she somebody else? And because your brain is also doing that extra work, That's why it feels long because you're doing so much work for so much time. And that's why it just felt so long. It just, I felt like I had watched a five hour movie. Yeah. Like I don't inherently have a problem that it was two and a half hours. I have a problem that it was two and a half hours of so much disjointed story bits put together. Like it almost seemed like they tried to, just take random pages from a comic book and put it together into an annual instead of writing a good story 
for the movie. That's a good analogy. It's an annual. It's not a good run. Oh, yeah. All right. So I want to talk about the special effects. We haven't really called it out. We called out the spectacular fights before, but the way that the powers were shown, I think, was the best of 2021. I haven't seen Spider-Man yet, but it was way better than Black Widow. Black Widow had a lot of uh, practical effects, in my opinion. It was better than Shang-Chi in terms of the special effects and the, the depiction of powers. Definitely the depiction of the historical and ancient civilizations. It made me feel like I was there, especially once they denoted where it was. I had to go back. I forget what the empire was called, but I had to go back. It was the Indian piece. And by Indian, I mean actual India, Indian, where there was a big wall that they were walking through. And I was like, that's Great Wall of China. But they were saying it was in India. The empire was in India. So I don't know if there's a wall in India that I didn't know about because I know about the Great Wall of China. But anyway, it made me feel like I was there. The celestial tech, you know, Fastos does a lot of celestial tech. A lot of geometrical shapes are either depicted in the execution of the powers or on like their suits or the materials or the weapons and that sort of thing. So it was very well done stylized, I think, and very well kept in there. The exposition sequence, I talked about that before. Well done as far as the animation went with it, not animation, the CGI went with it. And the emergence event as well, even though I had issues with it, I mean, you had islands that were sunk, you had the Earth's crust breaking open, you had the water as it was surging up and down, the actual emergence of the Tiamat appendages and head, stuff like that. You know, I, I hate to say it, but the Eternals are baby killers, you know. I did like the special effects and I thought it was well done. And I want to see it in other movies as we go forward. I think we are because there was a link with Shang-Chi. I think we're all speculating before. I think we can go back to Shang-Chi and watch the powers of, of those 10 rings and go, oh, that definitely looks like Eternals tech to us. I don't know if it's just the way that we're going in the future. Maybe it's tech that's very similar, but it sure looked like Eternals tech in, at the end of Shang-Chi. All right, that's all I've got to say. If you guys are done. Yes. Okay. Chris? The same flavor of yes as Michelle. All right. So next time we're going to get back together, we're going to do another newscast. And after that, we might be getting into another special event. I know we don't have any new material, but we might be delving into some older material that y'all are very interested in. We'll get more into that next time. In the meantime, we have a couple of news stories to talk about, and we'll get to it right now. First thing I want to talk about is the box office for Eternals. How dare we talk about a Marvel Cinematic movie and not talk about the box office? Well, here we go. Opening weekend, it did $71.3 million domestically, worldwide $161.7 million. This is pandemic box office, but it was 23rd out of 27 Marvel Cinematic Universe films. This does include the Spider-Man films, not the Spider-Man no way home film that came out but everything before that 
So yeah, 23rd out of 27, it did better than The Incredible Hulk, Ant-Man, and Captain America, The First Avenger, and Thor. Basically, the first movies with Ant-Man in there. That's it. Uh, it didn't do any better than anything else. And then to date, it's done a total of domestic $164.8 million. International is $237.0 million. And worldwide, it's $401.8 million. So it has not done half a billion dollars yet, which is disturbing for a current time Marvel Cinematic Universe piece. I think Shang-Chi did more than that. As a matter of fact, I know that because worldwide, the Eternals was 27th out of 24. It did more than The Incredible Hulk, Captain America, The First Avenger, and Black Widow, which was pandemic related. So, yeah, not so good there. And then I haven't done a comparison on like Rotten Tomatoes, but I know that it did not score well with fans or critics for that matter. So that's the box office there. And we're looking forward to talking about the box office for Spider-Man No Way Home because I know that blew this out of the water. So, Chris, what do we know about upcoming MCU films? Well, we know that fan favorite, why hasn't he been in a Marvel movie yet, actor Bill Murray, who we teased on an episode earlier about him saying he was going to be an Ant-Man. Now we know a little bit more about his character. He's going to be a bad guy. That's basically it. That's all we know. He's talking to Eli Manning former quarterback of the New York Giants on his podcast or webcast or whatever. And he just said he was going to be a bad guy. So one, he confirmed he was going to be in the film, which had not been confirmed by Bill Murray before. And second, he confirmed he was a bad guy. And that's all we got. So I don't know if the Marvel snipers are after him or not, but they better watch out because Bill Murray will send a ghost after you. It's true. Or a groundhog. I think I'd rather have the ghost. Right. Michelle, what do we know about the upcoming Echo series? Well, Echo Disney Plus TV series is going to feature writers from The Punisher and Daredevil Season 3. And this is intriguing because these writers understand the street-level side of the MCU, having created nuanced, layered stories featuring icons like Frank Castle, Matt Murdock, Kingpin, Karen Page, and many more. So it's very interesting that we get writers who are connected to Daredevil, especially since we've learned that Maya's uncle is Kingpin himself, and she probably didn't kill him. We are speculating that she sought his eyes out. So having writers from Daredevil in that writer's room is going to be great. And I've been keeping track of Vincent D'Onofrio, and he's been doing a lot of explaining on his character in the way it was in the Hawkeye series and how... He felt that he continued on with the character in every single way. He was taught, there's been some criticism that he wasn't as powerful as he was in the Daredevil series or the Defender series, but he shot right back and said, no, I actually, this is how powerful Kingpin has been the entire time. It just put in a little bit different context and we will be carrying it forward. So that's all pretty. So that's all the news we have for this week. We have one little feedback and then we'll get out of here. Delving into our bag of tricks over on Twitter, we released a Twitter poll just yesterday. 
And we asked what your favorite MCU film of 2021 was. He had four to choose from Black Widow, Shang-Chi, Eternals, or Spider-Man No Way Home. And with 52.2% of the vote, Spider-Man No Way Home won. Now, none of us have seen Spider-Man No Way Home on this podcast right now. We're really looking forward to when it comes out streaming on Stars, so we can watch it and then podcast about it. But apparently it's got a big fandom. There, Black Widow was number two at 21.7%. Shang-Chi brought up number three at 15.2%. I expect in the years to come that Shang-Chi will actually be elevated from that. And then Eternals brought up the rear at 10.9%, which I am not surprised at. Michelle, what was your favorite film of 2021 so far? Well, I have not seen Spider-Man No Way Home. Out of the other three, Shang-Chi. All right, Chris? It's really a toss-up between Shang-Chi and Black Widow for me. I could go either way, and it just depends on what kind of mood I'm in. I can see that. Different types of moods. By the way, you're not getting out of this podcast without a wacky question from SP. So I was thinking about this over the last couple of days, and I settled on one. If you could choose one occupation for 6,000 years, that's how long the Eternals were on Earth, six or 7,000 years. So you could choose one occupation, just one. What would it be? And I'll give you my example. I would be a writer adventurer. It's timeless. I could go out and have adventures, come back and write, and nobody would question where I had come from, what I did, that sort of thing. I'd be like Sprite out there, you know, telling stories, except for without the magic. It'd just be written down. And then hopefully some of my work would transcend time and I would get royalties for a while and I would make some money. So that's my example of what I would do for six, seven thousand years. Shall I see you thinking intently? Do you have something in mind yet? I would be see someone I would be if I knew I was going to be alive for six thousand years, I would be someone who would want to control the way my life was going to be. So I would be someone who would be buying land developing it, sailing forth, discovering new things, discovering new resources, how to manipulate those resources in order to shape society and make myself basically so rich and so just behind the scenes necessary that, yeah, that's what I basically would try to rule the world. So you'd want to be like Fastos and being able to create this fantastic things and furnish your dwellings with ikea furniture well no I, I wouldn't be i wouldn't have just one home like that i would basically be shaping society because i've been buying land and developing it and discovering resources and telling people what to do with it i would be what ajax would not want me to be so there you go hey, i loved her head dress by the way ajax oh yeah. i did too chris have you thought of something yet well, since podcasters don't make money, no. Honestly, I'm kind of thinking writing too. I have enough stories sitting in my head that I need to try to find time to get out. And if I'm going to live for 6,000 years, I've probably got enough time to get them out. Another thing I was thinking of in terms of was like a teacher, because, you know, the Eternals are very much like high school teachers because you see the kids for four years, and then they go away, and you never see them again. Or maybe they come back years later, like, for a few days, whatever. But generally, they all just go away. And that's kind of what the Eternals are to humans because you're there with the humans for a few years and then the humans leave. 
inevitably because we don't last as long as the Eternals do. And then they pick up new humans. So kind of a high school teacher, but like 6,000 years ago, they didn't have high school. So I know I made the joke in the synopsis about prom and showing up and trying to be the new cool kids at school and whatever. But no, there was no schools back then. They're just lucky to still stay alive. So yeah, I was thinking something like that too. I was thinking like a banker, but like what? And also, by the way, I was thinking about this. So the Eternals were around when the pyramids were being constructed, right? Why did they let Ra get away with what he did? I mean, why did they have to let the Stargate, the gods from the Stargate, you know, take advantage of the human race? Why did that happen? They were too busy attending the wedding of Cersei and Icarus. I don't know. Maybe that's what happened. Maybe, you know, they were like at the reception and the reception lasted like, I don't know, five years. years. (laughs) That's what happened. And speaking of teaching, teaching's a really odd profession. That's what I do because you age, but your students don't because I teach a bunch of 14 year olds. Next year, I teach a bunch of 14 year olds. I age. They don't. It's very, it's a very odd profession. All right. Well, that's all the feedback we have for you this week. So let's get on out of here. Thank you, listener, for staying with us. I hope you enjoyed our coverage of Eternals. If you have a different take on Eternals or if you have questions on what we said, please get a hold of us. We would love to hear what you had to say. Uh, The best ways are voicemail. 844-THE-BUS-1 or 844-843-2871 or come join our Discord server at guineageek.com slash Discord. Yes, thank you to everyone who stayed through our therapy session. We always appreciate it a lot. So please, yes, share what you thought about this movie. Give us another take. It would be great. Yeah, because we certainly want to know what everybody else thought about this. You know, our opinions are not even attempting to capture what all of the Marvel fans' opinions are. So let us know what you think, especially if you think we're wrong. I'm looking forward to hearing from a few people. I know they didn't go ahead and watch it right away. They're like us, didn't want to watch it in the theater, and they were waiting for like this weekend to watch it. We just happened to hit it on a Wednesday and... We're going to go ahead and podcast it on Thursday. So probably a lot more people will have inputs after this comes out. Well, that's it for this week. Until next time, I'm director of the show, SP. I'm Agent Michelle. And I'm Agent Chris. We'll see everybody next time where we talk some Marvel news. Bye. Bye. Thank you for listening. If you want to leave us feedback, go to gunageek.com and you will find all our contact information and other shows. You can also visit legendsofshield.com where you'll find our complete archive of podcasts. The music heard on this podcast is by Kevin McLeod, found at incompetech.com and also artists on pond5.com and audiojungle.net. The opinions heard on this podcast are those of the individual hosts and do not represent Stargate Pioneer Productions, Legends of S.H.I.E.L.D., or Gunna Geek. Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. is the property of the Disney Corporation, Marvel Studios, and ABC. No infringement is intended.
How are you? I'm not bad. How are you? I'm okay. Just found out my boss tested positive and I'd been with him all week, so. Ah. Exactly. Especially since I'm headed up to the lake tomorrow. Are you still going? I am. I took on a hunch, just a hunch. I left work a little bit early and went over to the hospital and had a PCR test done. It's part of our work. You know, we have it done as much as we want, really. I mean, we have to have a reason for it, like exposure or feeling bad or something like that. I was like, you know what? I'm just going to. I'm going to make sure, because I don't want to give anything to my father in particular. So I uh, I had that done. It was the worst one. Have you had a full-blown PCR test either, you two? No. So you've never had the swab up in your nose? And- um, I think that is what they gave me. So this was the worst one I've taken. I've taken half a dozen of them easily now, maybe maybe more, since the whole pandemic being and all things considered it's not bad but anyway it's up my nose like oh. i think she was having fun with me actually and i i just stood there and i or i'm in my car it's a drive-up site so i'm in my car i'm like oh. and um she stood with me for a little while afterwards i was i was crying and wanting to sneeze if you've never had one done you don't know that's natural reactions by the way but I, I just said, oh, this is so, I, in, in between my tears and everything, just trying to get my senses back about me, I'm like, yo, this is so fun. This should be an amusement park ride. Ah! So I had that done. I came home and then a couple hours later, my boss texted all of us and he said, got COVID. <laughs> you got to listen to this story. This story is amazing. So my sister is acquaintances with somebody and she sent out a text message to everybody that was in her phone book, really. She said, so um, a few weeks ago, I ordered four COVID tests and they just came in. So if anybody needs one, let me know. By the way, I didn't order four boxes. I ordered four crates. So she had 5,000 tests that showed up. This is up in Minnesota wow. where, I mean, COVID tests, at-home tests, they're short everywhere. At least they're short here. I assume they're short where you guys are. So she sold out 5000 and she wasn't making a profit necessarily. She sold, she got them from Amazon. They're the Am- Amazon tests, uh, 17 whatever, plus taxes. She sold them for $19 a box. She might have made a few cents on each, but she sold out in 18 hours. And my sister texted me and she said, do you want any of these? And I'm like, okay, I will help her out. I will buy six boxes. Just, it's like Girl Scout cookies. I'll buy some, even though it was a lot of money, but I'm like, I'll buy some and I'll have a few extra tests around the house. And she said, yeah, by the time you said you wanted six, she was down to 100. So yeah, she sold out. Wow. Oh, I do have a happy thing. The comic store guy who pulls mostly the Marvel stuff decided that he knows I'm going to buy every Peach Momoko cover anyway, so he's just grabbing them for me whether I ask him to get them for me or not. That's awesome. And put them in a pull file for you? Yep. Cool. That is a happy thing. 
I watched Ghostbusters Afterlife last weekend. Have you guys seen it? No. No. You guys watched the original? Yes. Mm-hmm. It was so good. Ghostbusters Afterlife. Not even joking with you or anything. It was really, really, really good. I was shocked and surprised. I, I went into it. Maybe I went into it with low expectations and was blown away because of it. But I'm, I'm like, wow, this is everything that I've ever wanted from a Ghostbusters sequel and more. If you want to prepare for it, you, you want to watch Afterlife and you want to see something before. There's been three movies, you know, the Ghostbusters, Ghostbusters 2, and then the Ghostbusters that was in 2016 with the ladies. And just because of the continuity with Afterlife. All you need to watch is the very first Ghostbusters. And if you're familiar enough with that, just go watch Afterlife. You'll like it. So watch all the Ghostbusters. Got it. (laughs) That's what I did. And afterwards, I'm like, man, I didn't need to do that. But Afterlife, the final fight scene in Afterlife, I I thought that was not Afterlife, but uh, the Ghostbusters 2016 movie. I thought that was pretty good. So movie as a whole had issues, but they strung it together at the end, in my opinion. We really go through that whole thing without mentioning Star Fox and giving me an opportunity to say something about doing a barrel roll. <laughs> all right, Chris, what did you think about Star Fox? I think that we should all just do a barrel roll because it's Harry Styles, and I hear that's who the kids are into now. Who is Harry Styles? He was in One Direction, and I only know that because of YouTube videos. Okay. I'm not a big One Direction fan. Me either. Solo work's not bad. Okay. So basically, is uh, Justin Timberlake like 10 or 20 years later? Is that what we're talking about here? I guess. Um, not really. With how he's been acting out in the world and stuff, I would say more of a not quite, but definitely growing into David Bowie. Yeah. Yeah. He really likes to... It's interesting. His last name's Styles, and he you know, plays with different styles and gender fluid and, you know, interesting clothes and stuff. So, yeah. Oh, we didn't talk about like the last one. Do we agree that was Dr. Strange? Yeah. When Jon Snow gets the sword and he gets all tempted and then the voice off screen is like, do you really want to do that? Dr. Strange. That's who I thought it was. So Haley looked at IMDb and do you want me to finish? I don't know. I don't want to ruin. Things. Yes. Finish. Yeah, go ahead. I'm good. It looks like it was Blade. Uh, oh, really? Yeah. Why didn't they have him on screen? Uh, so nobody would know. Yeah, but then nobody knows. And it's like, yeah, because I don't know who that's supposed to be. I don't know what the sword's about. Like, is he an evil King Arthur? Because they mentioned King Arthur. Because then there was the whole medieval. I like how Cersei basically gave her a new boyfriend. Just stuff that she's collected she probably just went through her drawers or closet and was like oh yeah i have this oh yeah i'm dating this guy with this crest oh okay that's cool i think i'll just give it to him <laughs> i thought by the way the second i thought this the first time and then i kind of thought it the second time that she did not buy it on ebay but she actually created that herself because remember she can transform objects and create objects so i think she oh. created that herself oh so she did something worse as to create a fake? Yeah, basically. Good job, Cersei. Here, I don't need to buy anything. 
I'll just scroll through my iPhone on Insta and Pinterest. That's probably what she does. She scrolls a lot through Pinterest. I was like, I like that. Let me make it. And you should pay your artist, Cersei. You should go and buy stuff, Cersei. You're 7,000 years old. You definitely have bank. You have, you have money in the bank account. You live in London. She knew Charles Darwin. She could just create money out of thin air and buy it that way. Yeah. That's not going to ruin the world economy at all. Yeah. And then they, she had that really cool moment of changing the deviant. And they're like, how'd you do that? And then, mm-hmm. oh, because technically the celestial was made out of an inanimate material. It wasn't, a, I mean, well, she said sentient, but is it really? It was being birthed as, well, that's the whole definition of a life. And I don't want to get into that. You know, when yeah. does life begin sort of thing? Oh, I'm not saying that it wasn't life. I'm just like, because we really don't know. Because celestials, he, Galactus, Erish and whatever, kept saying that born of the universe so the universe is technically inert and i'm not saying that's not alive or not but it's like they had that idea again it's just another idea that was dropped and not fully that's what makes me frustrated about this movie that's why i'm frustrated we're obviously going to have more of the celestials going forward whether that's in guardians of the galaxy or some other sort of movie so i i'm guessing some of the lore is going to be brought out because it has to, because there's just so many questions. It's one thing that I have with this movie is that Kevin Feige has opened up whether he wanted to or not with this, right? Maybe because of the pandemic, he didn't have as strong editing as he's had so far, but there's just so many questions that come out of this. And I'm guessing this is going to be pivotal for phase four and possibly five and six is going forward. Like, okay. What does this all mean? So now we got this Tiamat stone. I, from what I gathered in the news report, it was turned to stone. So you've got this big stone thing, basically a plug in, in the Earth's crust. Okay, can you mine it? We just leave it there? Does it become a tourist attraction? I have to admit, each time they said it that, it sounded like Tiamat which is the five-headed dragon goddess from Dungeons and Dragons and who's being kept on the level of hell. And there's a whole adventure about dragon cultists. And at the end, she's like emerging. And so during this entire movie, I'm like, okay, they're not talking about Tiamat, the five-headed dragon goddess. They're talking about a celestial. But part of me was like, let it be a five-headed dragon goddess. Now, is that the same Final Fantasy summon Tiamat? Yeah, no, there's so many different types that it's just like, which version are you thinking of when you hear that word? I got the impression that Tiamat was going to be either the most powerful or one of the most powerful celestials, just by the way that Arisham was doing the exposition on it with Cersei. It wasn't your run-of-the-mill celestial, so there was something special about Tiamat. Which, I don't know if Tiamat could be brought back or not. I would hope not, because that's the whole destruction of the Earth. But, I don't know. Uh, Lots of questions. Legends of S.H.I.E.L.D. is copyright 2013 through 2022.